Well, good morning. Good to see all of you this morning. Ephesians chapter 4 this morning. While you're finding Ephesians 4, just a couple of reminders. This Thursday evening starts the women's Bible study back up. Settled hearts for troubled times. Hope many of the gals here at the church will take advantage of that. Listen, if you need directions, you need to know how to get to the house that the Bible study is in and all that, which I think most of you do, please go out to the women's table and see Marcia. She's got where the women's Bible study's at and the directions of how to get there and everything. I think it's going to be a great five-week study, and I hope you gals uh, will take advantage of it. Uh, it's just five weeks, and uh, it's in the book of Philippians. It's, it's going to be a good one. So bring your Bibles, bring notebooks. Um, it's going to be a great follow-up series to the armor of God that uh, the girls just concluded. And then don't forget, Saturday is our church picnic. Debbie would love to see you out there signing up for our church picnic out at Top of the World uh, after the service is over. And I keep forgetting to announce this, so she's had to t- pick up the slack. But you don't need to tell her what you're bringing. We just need to know you're coming so we know how much to plan for as far as the meat, the main course, and the drinks and all that kind of stuff. You can, you can wait till Saturday morning to decide what you're bringing, okay? Uh, we just need a number so that we have an idea of how many to plan for out there. And the directions, the map, all the information that you need to get out there and all of that is also out at the uh, table that Debbie will be at. So please see her after that's over. And then uh, don't forget about our 24-hour day of prayer through the Oasis ministry. Uh, Friday, November the 4th, right before our election, uh, I'm calling upon us as a community of believers to have somebody during that whole 24-hour period praying for not only the election, but for our nation, just as, as Tony talked about this morning in his prayer, that we would lift up our leaders, our nation, uh, that we would come to God and ask God for another miracle, another revival in our country, and that it would start with us. So that's Friday, November the 4th. It will actually start at sort of midnight on Thursday, if you get where I'm coming there, 12 a.m. on Friday, and go all the way through the day of Friday to midnight. Uh, part of the reason why I didn't pick Saturday, even though I know more of you are off on Saturday, is because I didn't want somebody not coming to church on Sunday. Because like, well, you, you made me get up at 3 o'clock in the morning and pray, and so I can't do that. And come. So that's part of the reason uh, that we chose Friday. But I also know that some of you all work different shifts and different hours, so maybe we can make that work. Plus, I think our church is large enough where we have early morning people and we have late night people, so we can maybe get it all covered. And as I said last week, if we have some hours during the middle of the night that it's not covered, I'll be up in the night praying anyway, so I'll cover those times just to make sure we have round-the-clock coverage, if you will, of, of that day of prayer. So you could sign up for that. That's out there at the prayer table as well. So as we continue our series in the book of Ephesians... I want to remind us of where we left off last week because that's where obviously Paul picks up uh, to talk about in Ephesians chapter 4. Remember, the chapter divisions and, and verses, numbers, and all that weren't in the original text. They, they were all added later. So a lot of times the flow is missed by us if we just sort of think, well, now we stop there and then, you know, something else. No, everything builds on what 
has previously been taught. So last week we ended with the fact that God has this design for his church. Every community of believers, and that is in chapter 3, verse 21, he wants to see his glory manifested or displayed in every community of believers. Paul says it this way, to him, meaning God, be glory in the church and through Jesus Christ to all generations forever and ever. Amen. And one of the things that Paul's also saying there is that when we do church the way God designed church to be done, that what we are engaged with here will have meaning for us throughout eternity. That if people are looking for something to be involved with that that has meaning in their life, there could be nothing greater than being involved in the church of the Lord Jesus Christ, the church that Jesus Christ promised to build and the gates of hell would not prevail against it. And Paul is saying, God wants to see his glory in the church. Well, Paul now is going to pick up on that and begin to tell us in chapter 4, How does that happen? How do we, as a community of believers, how do these local churches, how can we truly manifest the glory of God in the church? And remember, his glory is describing seeing God for who he really is. That's what his glory is. God wants to be seen for who he really is amongst, obviously, his own people. If any group of people should manifest who God really is, it should be the people who claim to know God and have a relationship with God and walk with God, you see. So God says, this is what I expect of my church in every community where that group of believers is manifested. So that is chapter 4. He comes along and once again reminds them of his sacrifice for the church. He says, I therefore, the prisoner for the Lord, urge you to live worthily of the calling with which you have been called. A lot there. Paul is saying, I'm not asking you all as the people of God to do something that I haven't been willing to do. I have been willing to chain myself to Jesus Christ. And let Jesus Christ call the shots in my life. I'm surrendered to him. And if it's Jesus Christ's will that I be in prison, and as we've said, he at this point was probably in prison for at least five years now at this point. Then Paul says, so be it. I do not look at my life as a believer in Jesus Christ and one who is a prisoner of Jesus Christ as a victim of my circumstances. I look at myself as someone that is an instrument in the hands of my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And if Jesus wants me in prison for however many years Jesus wants me there, then I'm okay with that. Because when I accepted Jesus Christ as my Savior, and I said that I would be a follower of Jesus Christ, then I recognize Him and acknowledge Him not just as my Savior, but as my Lord, as you see Him say there. I am a prisoner of the Lord, not of the Roman Empire, not of Caesar Augustus. 
I know that God is sovereign and he's in control and he's the one that allowed me to be here because he has a purpose behind it. You see, again, that will help all of us as Christians that when we go through times and seasons of suffering or pain or trial or whatever, we don't ever have to be victims of our circumstance. We can always be triumphant in any circumstance we find ourselves in if we are truly a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Because we know that that God has allowed that for a reason. And he has a purpose behind it. And there's no such thing as purposeless suffering for the prisoner of Jesus Christ. Especially, again, as we acknowledge him as our Lord. You'll notice that word, capital L, small o, small r, small d. It is the Greek word that speaks about the one to whom we belong. It is a reminder that he decides my life, not me. Am I surrendered to the Lord? Am I a prisoner, like Paul, of the Lord Jesus Christ? Have I said, God, not my will, but yours. Not my life as I want it, but what you want for my life, God. And so Paul, obviously reminding the Christians in Ephesus about this, then comes along with this word, urge. It's a word that basically says, now you realize the sacrifice that I'm making for the church. So I'm coming alongside of you and I'm going to put my arm around you and I'm going to say to my fellow brothers and sisters of Christ in Ephesus, come on with me. Come on with me. Be fellow prisoners. And then he goes on to say, And here's the first way God's glory will begin to be manifested in the church. When we as followers of Jesus Christ are willing to live worthily of the calling to which we have been called. Now let's break this down because there's some important things here. The word worthily is the Greek word axios. A-X-I-O-S. And what it simply means is to weigh things the way God would weigh them. To value the things that God values. Think of it this way. God in the universe that he created goes around, say, and and puts price tags, if you will, value tags on anything and everything that you and I could do with our lives. And Paul is saying that for the church and for the people of God, We ought to bypass all these things that we could be involved with and could do with our lives that God would say, "Eh, to me, that's not of great value. And to pour ourselves in the limited lifespan that we have and the limited time each month and week and all that that we have into the things that God says, this is highly valuable to me. If you're looking at a scale... Because that's what the word axiom, if you're looking on a scale, these would be the things that really say God would say, I give great weight to those things, not very much weight to those things. So when Paul says it's up to us as the people of God to live worthily, first of all, he's saying, then we need to begin to figure out what are the things that are really of greatest value to God and live for those things. In a sense, it's like saying we need to prioritize our lives with the priorities of God. 
which also obviously ties into being a prisoner of the Lord. If, if I truly am surrendered to him, then what's important to God will become important to me. What is of high value to God will become of high value to me. What God says is of great weight and importance should become of great weight and importance to me. And then he goes on to, in this context, give a specific. He says that we as the people of God should live worthily of the calling to which we've been called. Now, there are several callings of God upon his people in the Bible. In fact, the first calling is sort of not even to the people of God yet. It's to the people that don't know God yet and don't have a relationship with God yet. It would be the calling to salvation. It would be the calling to come and accept Jesus Christ as our Savior and recognize what he did for us on the cross and all of that. And so I would say to anyone here today, I don't want to take that for granted. Maybe you're here today and you've never accepted the call of salvation. You've never truly accepted Jesus Christ as your personal Savior and asked him, to totally wipe out your sin record and to have bestowed upon you his righteousness, you see. If you've never done that, you need to do that. You need to accept that call of God to salvation, but that's not the only call God gives. There are a couple other calls, and and this call in its context here, speaking about glory in the church and writing to the church, is the call of God for his people to come together as the church. Let me repeat that. God is calling Christians to come together and be part of a local community of believers. To tie themselves in. To not just say, well, that's the church where I think they know that I'm... No, to really participate and invest in that community of believers. Because before God can see His glory in that church, in that community of believers... He's got to have people who buy into the concept of coming together as the people of God on a regular basis and doing this together as a community, a close-knit community of believers. You see. In fact, the Greek word for church, ekklesia, is a word that talks about calling people to come together to experience the worship and word of God. That's what the word means. So again, it just boggles my mind when I hear Christians today who say, I don't need to prioritize the local church. I don't need to be part of the local church. That doesn't need to be a high value to me. See what Paul's saying? Paul's saying, wait a minute. That's not living worthily of the calling to which we've been called. Because God is literally inviting all Christians to be part of local assemblies. To come together as His people. Because that's His design. 
And if we're not coming together as the people of God on a consistent basis, then we're not being obedient to the calling of God. And we're not living worthily. What, what God values, what is of great weight and high value and great importance to God is showing that it's not that important to us. And we're either ignoring the calling of God or we don't even understand that that's a calling of God. Maybe we can't even hear his voice calling us because we are so involved in other things in our life and the church somehow gets crowded out. Now, one of the reasons more why we know that this is exactly what Paul's talking about is as he continues, because you'll notice he's talking to then a community of believers And he's saying, if you accept the call of God to come together and begin to do life together as God's people are supposed to, he said, there's some things that we've got to then keep in mind. He said, you've got to do this with all humility, verse 2. When you all come together, the only way this is going to work is to get rid of our pride and to come humbly, each one of us. Because when there's people who have this pride in their life, that destroys the unity and the effectiveness and the efficiency of these local bodies of believers. And there's no way that the selfless God can be seen for who he really is in a group of Christians who are filled with pride. If God's going to be seen, he is seen as humble, the one that was willing to leave the glories of heaven and come to earth. So We need to be humble people. We need to be gentle towards each other. You know what that word really is telling us? That we need to be careful how we treat each other. I can remember when I was growing up, my mom and dad, you know, would go into some shops and stuff. And one of them would turn to me and say, now don't be a bull in a china shop. There's some expensive stuff here. So again, be careful you know, flailing your arms around or, you know, you knock something off, we're going to have to pay for it. It's expensive stuff. But I thought of that concept when you come to this gentleness. It's the way we're supposed to treat each other. Again, why? Because God wants us to come together. And the only way we're going to stay together is by manifesting humility and gentleness. And then he goes on to say, also, with patience. (laughs) You know what that means? Long-suffering staying power with one another. Because God says, I can't effectively work and manifest my glory in a group of people that aren't willing to hang in there with each other, which is exactly what the next word means. Bearing with one another in love. The word bearing literally means to hang in there with one another. And this is why local churches, many of them, do not manifest the glory of God in the church because Christians can't hang in there with each other long enough to see God really do anything with that particular group. We get upset with each other. We don't like this. We don't like that. And because there's a church on every corner, we just go from this church to that church. and other. We never hang in there long enough with a particular group of people to really see God do with us and with those around us what he wants to do. We don't give it enough time.
I've already told you, it's very clear to me God wants me to spend the rest of my breathing days on earth as the pastor of the Oasis Church. Now, I don't know how long that is, but I'm going to be here. Because the longer you and I do this together, the more effective we will be if we do it God's way. And the more we will see God's glory be manifested in our local church. When we learn to come together as God's people, but to do it again God's way, in humility, in gentleness, in patience towards each other, in bearing with one another. And then notice this, making every effort, it means to exert oneself to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace and harmony. Exerting oneself. And notice, he doesn't say to make peace. He says to keep the unity of the Spirit. You and I don't create the unity of the Spirit of God. It is something that God graciously grants to us as the people of God. If we don't keep it though, we can mess up the unity that we should have as spiritual Christians through the Holy Spirit. And when that happens, strife happens, dissension, division, all that stuff. And there begins to be these fractures in the local assemblies. And the people of God truly cannot come together harmoniously as one. Instead of being this great concert band or orchestra where every one of us is diverse and we all play a different instrument. We're all playing music that that can blend together and complement each other. Everybody comes to the church many times today and toots their own horn and plays their own song, which, which just creates dissonance and a lack of harmony and no you know, symphony of sound. God says, no, if if people want to see who I really am, I'm a unified God. I exist in three persons, God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit, but we are one. And so if my people are going to manifest who I am, they've got to be one. They've got to do everything they can instead of being troublemakers to be peacemakers. In my church. And again, to exert themselves to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. By the way, the word bond of peace means to be tied close together, too. It's not, well, yeah, we can get along with each other because we never see each other. No, again, that's not doing church the way God said. God said, I want my people to come together and be glued together to do this close. And you, I know, and, and I know what a challenge that is, even for people that we like. So, but again, you see, but here's where God, God's saying, but then that shows the supernatural work that you guys are allowing me to do because you can exist in a close quarters and not tear each other apart. And again, we know that that's hard for a family. Put a, put a big family in a little camper. Let them go on vacation for a while where they're crammed in there with each other day in and day out. Pretty soon they'll be like, I'm going to, yeah. Why? Because it takes the supernatural act of God for us to learn to get along with each other. Especially the closer and tighter we get with one another. That's why Paul says this is so important. And that's why, can I say, 
the glory of God is not seen in the church like it should be? Because first of all, we're not willing to come together like we should. And second of all, you know, when we come together, we're not coming humbly, gently, with patience towards each other, bearing with one another, and doing everything we can to keep the unity of the Spirit. And then he goes on in verse 6, or verse 4, 5, and 6, to tell us that the things that unify us as Christians is greater than anything that we allow to divide us. When he says... There's only one body and one Holy Spirit, just as two you were called to the one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father of all, who is set over all and working through all and working in all. Why we as Christians allow the things that really don't matter to divide us when we have the things that really do matter to unify us is where we allow the devil and the enemy to come between what really could be. Because God just keeps saying to a group of people, will you let me just take over that group of people? Will you let me take over that assembly, that local church, and let me show you what can be done when people surrender to me and become a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and begin to live worthily of the calling to which we've all been called? And then he says in verse 7, to each of us, Grace was given. And what he's going to tell us here is amazing. He said, not only did Jesus Christ, when he died on the cross and rose from the dead, conquer hell and and death and, and sin and all these things, but after he conquered all that and he was victorious, he decided to pour his grace into those that were followers of his. And he endowed us with this grace that was given to us as, as, as a gift, if you will. And all of these gifts of grace and the grace that God gives us was to make us, each of us, a gift to the body of Christ, to the church. So that as we come together and as we do this as we're supposed to, then iron sharpens iron. And as we get around each other and we influence and we impact and we allow the force of our lives to rub up against our fellow Christians, all of us benefit. But if we don't fail to see ourselves as a gift, or we don't fail to see our brothers and sisters as a gift, then again, the priority of the local church has very low value. We don't see our responsibility. Because we don't see that my brothers and sisters would benefit if I was more invested and more involved and more engaged because God made me a gift. And then I begin to look around at my brothers and sisters in Christ and go, oh, and they're gifts from God to me too. Notice that's what he says. To each and every one of us, grace was given according to the measure of the gift of Christ. In other words, Jesus Christ determined the proportion, the extent of the gift of grace that he bestowed upon him. For instance, let me, let me share this. Every person that has the gift of teaching God's word doesn't have it in the same proportion or extent. We're all different. Even with the same gifting, we're all different. We're all unique. And then he goes on to say, therefore, it says, the scriptures, when he ascended on high, he captured captives. I love that. Basically, he set us free. 
We were captive before we met Christ to sin, to the power of sin, to the power of the devil, to the flesh. And he freed us through dying on the cross and being raised from the dead. He set us free. And he set us free so that not just we could be saved and have a personal relationship with him. He saved us so that we could become gifts to his body, the church, which is what he says. He gave gifts to men. You ever think about that? You are a gift of Jesus Christ to his church. And that's part of the reason why you and I are responsible to come together. Because God says, I have endowed you with my grace and my gifts. And now I want you to be part of the body of Christ. So as in a sense, you mix it up with your fellow brothers and sisters in Christ. All of you will mutually benefit. Because before I can take you out there, and and we're going to see in just a moment, let you fill up everywhere you go with my knowledge, you first have to come together. Because it's in coming together that God grows us and edifies us. And it's not through us remaining by ourselves. We will never reach our full potential spiritually or get to where God wants us to by trying to do this life on our own. We only do it in close fellowship with our brothers and sisters in Christ. And that's why he goes on to say, now what is the meaning, verse 9, of the fact that he ascended except that he also descended to the lower regions, namely the earth. He, the very one who descended, is also the one who ascended above all the heavens. In other words, he's saying, what Jesus did by leaving the glory of heaven and coming to earth, and then after he resurrected to go back to heaven, what was the purpose of all this? Notice these last words of verse 10. In order to fill all And this is when the glory of God begins to see, becomes evident in the church. What's it mean that Jesus wants to fill all things? Isn't God omniscient? Isn't he everywhere? In one sense, yes. But in another sense, God wants to use us as the church to literally go out everywhere we go and fill everywhere we go with his influence. To pervade everything that we touch with his presence, his power, and his activity. So that no matter who we come in contact with, and when we come in contact with, God is filling that void, if if you will, in the universe with him through us. But the only way that can be accomplished is when, again, we are willing to live worthily of the calling to which we've been called. We first have to clearly, as Paul says here, come together. And we're going to see that next week, especially when we look at verses 11 through verse 16. Fill all things. To literally diffuse the influence of Jesus Christ everywhere you and I step. Now, Paul expands on this a little bit. So I want to end with this verse this morning. If you'll go back with me to 2 Corinthians chapter 3. 2 Corinthians or excuse me, chapter 2. 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Paul takes this whole concept of, of Jesus wanting to fill all things there in Ephesians, and he's mentioned that again back here in 2 Corinthians chapter 2, verse 14. Look at this verse with me, a really important verse that explains a little bit even more about 
what Paul meant by fill all things. Paul says, but thanks be to God who always leads us in triumph, literally conquering victory in Christ. Did you get that? Every time you and I follow Christ, every time we do the will of God in Christ, every time we live our lives within the sphere of Christ, we are victors, not victims. We are overcomers. Jesus never loses. Jesus always triumphs over anything and everything. So all you and I have to do is be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ and totally follow him and we will live in victory rather than defeat. Because he never is defeated by anything or anyone. But then he goes on to say, and who makes known, who makes very clear and plain, notice, through us, the church, the people of God, the fragrance that consists of the knowledge of Him in every place. In other words, everywhere that you and I then go, after we've come together as the people of God, and grown, and matured, and been built up, and invested our lives in others as they invest their lives in us, and as we become greater and stronger by being together, then God says, now that you've come together, now I'm going to send you out there. Because I want all of you to go to different places. And everywhere you step, every encounter you have, every conversation you have with anybody out there, I want you to fill that place with the fragrance of my knowledge. I want people to sense a very distinctive and pleasant aroma when they're around you. And they might not even know at first what it is. It's sort of like we used to say, you know, certain people have an air about them. And a lot of times we say that in a negative way, like, ooh, you know, they they drip with pride or arrogance or whatever. But God wants us to have an air about us as well. Everywhere he go, everywhere we go, he wants the fragrance of the knowledge of him dripping off of us, if you will, so that no matter where we go, whether it's the supermarket or the gas station or the coffee shop or school or work or, you know, our neighborhood, our community, Inside our own home, wherever we go, that Jesus Christ can fill that place up with his knowledge through us. When that dynamic begins to take place in churches, look out. As even Tony prayed, that's that's when revival happens. But see, the problem is we can't get God's people to truly come together and to stay together long enough for God to work through all of us to where we all benefit, to where then he can send us out wherever we go and that we truly then fill every place we go with every person we meet with the fragrance of his knowledge. Because in order to do that, that means we've got to come to know him more and more. And there's so many Christians out there today who are in churches where they're not taught the word of God and they aren't growing to know God more and more. Therefore, they can't manifest the fragrance of his knowledge everywhere they go because they're having a hard time just figuring out who they are and where they came from and all that. This kind of dynamic, this has to happen from Christians that I mean are growing and maturing as we're going to talk about next week. One other thing before we... 
call the worship team to come and we have our final song this morning because this song goes right along with this last point. And this is very important, so please listen to this. When I talked earlier about Christ conquering and triumphing, do you know the greatest thing that Christ needs to conquer in our lives? Do you know what that is? Us. The greatest thing Christ needs to overcome in our lives is us. Because we are the greatest hindrance to what God wants to do through us. We're the one that won't comply, that won't surrender, that, that hinders what God truly wants to do in us. And even as Nicole prayed, you know, that can be uncomfortable. That can mean getting out of our comfort zone. And even being vulnerable. And laid bare and all those kind of things. And we don't like it. But God says, I've got to overcome you, Jeff. Because I want to do more with you and more through you. But the only way I can do that, I've got to conquer you. You're in the way. And so today, may each of us remove ourselves from what God wants to do, not only in us individually, but maybe even what God wants to do with this church. And say, God, I'm going to stop holding you back. I'm going to let you truly flood into my life and fill me up and overwhelm and overcome whatever I've done in my life to keep you from truly being able to manifest the fragrance of your knowledge through me everywhere you send me. In every conversation, to every person I meet, no matter where they are, if I have that consciousness as a Christian that that's what God wants to do. But again, you and I can only be effective to do that individually out there in the world in all these different places if we're willing to strengthen ourselves by coming together. Because we'll be too weak trying to do that on our own. The only way it works is when God can get His people to come together to worship Him and to sit under the Word long enough to be strong enough to be able to go out individually into all these different places where God wants to send us. That's why God never wants His people to be part of a commune where we all live in the same neighborhood, where we all go to the same... Because God wants to diffuse His influence everywhere. 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 And that's why we all don't live in the same neighborhoods and don't work at the same places and don't go to the same schools because God may want to touch someone's life through you that none of the rest of us even know. And when we all take that calling seriously, that's when God's glory begins to be seen in the church. Let's pray. Father God, as a worship team comes, God, I pray today that we would truly allow you, God, to overcome us, to conquer us. Because so often, God, even as followers of Jesus Christ, we put parameters and conditions around, Lord, our service, our ministry, our involvement, our life. We say, God, you can have this part and this part of my life, but God, this part's for me.
This is mine. I'll give you this and this, God. I'll let you rule over this area and this area. But God, this area I'm keeping. But God, the only way, glory, your glory, truly manifests itself within your people, the church, is when all of us allow you to conquer us. When we surrender, when we say, God, I want to be a prisoner of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not my will any longer. Your will be done. May we stand. Let's sing this song from our heart, from our sincere heart to the Lord today that we will surrender ourselves to the Lord. He decides. He decides.